Well, good morning. It is great to see you this morning. We're going to continue in our study of the seven shaping virtues. And as already been said a few times, we're going to uh, look at the virtue of generosity. It's the fifth of our seven shaping virtues. Um, I don't know whether you've noticed, but the progression in the four previous virtues, how we've arrived at this point. The, the progression that we started with humility. And from that place of humbling ourselves before God, we can experience the joy that comes from our salvation, which then in turn produces a heart of thanksgiving. And from a thanksgiving heart, we can, we can encourage one another. Now that brings us to generosity. I felt there's an interesting uh, link and a progression as we've gone through these uh, shaping virtues. And in studying these virtues, and in particular this morning when we're talking about generosity, it's not because we don't see these, these virtues demonstrated in the church family here. We do. When we talk about generosity, you're a generous people. So we thank God for that. But because I believe we all have a desire to grow in these virtues, and by that desire and the grace of God bringing about growth, we as individuals and as a church family can bring glory to God. In our week away at the pastor's conference, one of the most repeated expressions was taken from Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, but to your name give glory. Not to us, O Lord, but to your name give glory. And it's not that we want to grow in these virtues for the glory of Grace Church. It's not what we're about, but for the glory of God, who deserves all the honour and all the praise. And in speaking about generosity this morning, it might surprise you uh, that our focus is not going to be primarily about giving money to the church. Probably thought, ah, this is a message on giving money to the church. We need more money. We are blessed. God has provided our needs. And uh, you have been faithful, as we said in the church meeting in the week, in your sacrificial giving. But God wants us to be generous in many ways, in our serving, in giving our money, generous with our time and talent, in hospitality, good works, and in our worship as well. So this morning, I just have two points. Our God is a God. And how do we as his children respond to his generosity? Just two very simple points. First of all, our God is a generous God. Now, I've broken this down into three aspects of God's generosity. God has been generous. God continues to be generous and God will be generous. God has been generous. One of probably the most well-known verses in the world is taken from John 3.16. And it tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God so Love the world. That little word in there, so. Let's just say God loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The most precious gift that the, any father could, could give was given by the father to our world. 
not to just take on flesh and enter into time to teach his creation how to live, which he did, not even just to reveal God or God is light, which he did. But he gave him as a sacrifice that 33 years on from his birth in Bethlehem, that he would pay for our sins and pay our debt on a cruel cross. You know, I was thinking about this. Christmas is drawing near. It's becoming too fast. We seem to be rushing towards Christmas. Uh, and, and some of you are probably thinking about, what can you give to your loved ones? What would, you, what would they like as a present? Some of you may be thinking about that now. Some of you may have done this weeks ago. And some of us probably think it's far too early to be thinking about what to give. Far too early. Well, when we look at God's gift to us in Jesus Christ, God thought and planned this gift. The gift of his son as a substitute and a payment for our sins, even before the foundation of the earth. You may think that you're getting prepared in finding gifts early, but God had this gift for his world, planned in his heart, even before the very foundation of the earth. And in Isaiah 53, some 700 years before Christ's birth in Bethlehem, we read Isaiah's prophecy of what Christ's death would be like upon the cross. We can so easily think, can't we, that it was the Jewish leaders and the Roman soldiers, what they did to Jesus, what they physically did to Jesus, they put him on the cross. But Isaiah tells us the real story, that he was smitten and he was afflicted by God, by God, his Father. He was crushed for our transgressions. It wasn't what the Jewish leaders and the Roman soldiers did. Jesus, there was an old song that just came to mind just so saying, he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have called 10,000 angels. But he suffered on the cross. But he was afflicted by his father. Imagine that. The very one who so loved this world gave his son and then crushed him. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. You see, the pain of the cross was fundamentally not man's doing, but it was God's. Our contribution to that is, yes, our sin. It's our sin that nailed him to the cross. This is the generous God that we're speaking of this morning. But we see the internal pain in Jesus' cry from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I wonder whether you've ever thought of that. What, what was going on there? What was going on in that cry? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Probably it was the most significant pain that our Savior endured on the cross. For the first time, in all of eternity past, the father turned his back upon his son. On the intimacy that the Trinitarian God had, father had with his son and the Holy Spirit, that intimacy was now broken. The Old Testament says, Cursed is every man 
who hangs on a tree. Curse is not, it's not some sort of jujitsu curse or whatever weird thing. It means God turning his back upon anyone who hangs on a tree. And this was Jesus, his son, hanging on a tree. The intimacy that they had always known was now for the very first time broken. And now God, when we see the generosity of our God, God now poured out his righteous wrath upon his only son to experience the pain and the punishment that we deserved. And yet the father knowing all this before the very foundation, creation of the world, gave out of his unfathomable love his only son. Can you think of anything more generous than that? This is generosity at the highest level. He gave his son out of love for his creation. He poured out his wrath upon his son for our salvation. I love this as Charles Spurgeon. Now the Lord is the most cheerful of givers. I want you to think that for a minute. Who spared not his own son. Oh, what a gift was that. Mothers, could you give your sons? Fathers, could you spare your children? Well, yes, perhaps you might for your country. But you could not for your enemies. But God, the cheerful giver, Spared not his son, but delivered him up for us all, as saith the word. And since then, what a cheerful giver he has been. He has given without our asking. We did not ask him to make this covenant of grace. We didn't ask him to elect us. We didn't ask him to redeem us. These were things done before we were born. We did not ask him to call us by his grace, for alas... We did not know the value of that call. And we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But he gave to us freely of his unsought and boundless love. That's the generous God. That's the God we've been worshipping this morning. Somebody once said the gospel is an act of cosmic generosity on God's part. So God has been generous, demonstrated No more in the giving of his son to a world that was headlong for hell. But God continues to be generous. Romans 8 verse 32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In this verse, Paul links us to God's generation in not sparing his own son for us to God's continued generosity to his children. If God would give his most precious thing, what was most precious to him, his own son, Paul is saying there's nothing material or spiritual that we need that he would not give us. And let me just stress here, it's those things, material and spiritual, that we need, not what we want. God knows what we need better than we do. I think I know what I need, but God knows better. And Ephesians 2 verses 4 to 5 says, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love 
with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So God now continues to be generous. When we were dead in our, in our sins, in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. His generosity continues today that we have not earned our salvation. There is nothing we could do. And if we tried, we'd be sinning. If we tried to add our righteousness to it or our, our thought righteousness, we'd be sinning. It's by grace we have been saved. And we see here the very heart of the gospel. The overflow of his love and mercy to undeserving sinners like you and me. Nick was saying this morning about feeling maybe because of your sin, undeserving. God doesn't have second-class children. He only has one group of children. He doesn't split them up, good, bad, indifferent. He says, saved by Jesus, saved by Jesus, saved by Jesus, in Christ. And his generosity continues to us today. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. That's what Ephesians tells us. We have been blessed. We are being blessed. It's a continuous sense. And we've been given the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our eternal inheritance and who dwells within us, giving us the power to live for God's glory. And Because of the gospel, God continues to give generously and to abundantly bless us. His abundant mercy, his amazing grace, continues to us every single day. And it reflects his continuous generosity. Through the cross, we see that God is an abundant giver and overflows with generosity and we experience that today. Isaac Watts' hymn expresses this well. It's one of my favorites. And I'll try and read it. Alas, and did my Savior bleed? And did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Was it for sins that I had done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, a love beyond degree. My God, why would you shed your blood so pure and undefiled to make a sinful one like me, your chosen precious child? Well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ the mighty maker died for man, for us, the creature's sin. Thus might I hide my blushing face while his dear cross appears. Dissolve my heart in thankfulness and melt my eyes to tears. God not only has been generous, he continues to be generous and God will be generous. 1 Peter 1 verses 3 to 5 says, Blessed be the God 
and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfailing, kept in heaven for you. Who keeps it in heaven? God, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we will finally be saved. There will come a day when our salvation will be complete. And that we've received an inheritance now, but God is guarding that salvation by his power. We were the men yesterday, just come to me with men. We were talking about angels yesterday. He didn't give this to angels. He didn't say to Gabriel, now would you guard their salvation? No. I'm going to do it. This is so important. This is so significant. This is so glorious that I will guard through faith. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our eternal inheritance, is the down payment of our final salvation that is currently kept in heaven for us, that is guarded by God's own power. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that great? God didn't. Give it to somebody else. He himself is guarding our salvation. Joel Morris writes, on top of paying for our sins on the cross, taking our sins on himself and imputing his own righteousness to us, God also gives us the down payment of his spirit in our hearts. How generous is our God. A guarantee of our salvation, justification, beautification and all the promises of God. How glorious is that? How wonderful is that? Jesus in John 14 tells his disciples that in my father's, my father's house there are many rooms and I go to prepare a place for you. Today, Jesus, the lover of our souls, is in heaven preparing a place for each one of us right now. He will be generous in the future. Psalm 121 tells us that God will watch over our lives, means our souls, both now and evermore. God's generosity has not only been seen in the past, but we continue to experience it today, and it continues on into eternity. So let's turn to our response to God's generosity. Having seen just, I mean, I wish we had more time. (laughs) We don't really have time. We could say so much more. So much more, just picking out a few things, but wow, God has been so generous. But those who've been changed and affected by the gospel will become generous people. And the motivation for generosity should not be through guilt or need, not because we feel guilty when we look into situations in our world or needs that are in our world, but motivated by the gospel of grace that grips our hearts while we behold the incomparable prehensible generosity of our God. Christian generosity is an overflow of our life in Christ. It's first of all a heart's response to us, the recipients of amazing grace. See, we can read or hear stories about abused, neglected, poor people, especially children, and I find our hearts move towards generosity. 
And that's great. Nothing wrong with that. But nothing will move our hearts more than gazing at our broken and bleeding Saviour on the cross. We know that we should be generous with our time and our money and our possessions. But our motivation for giving can be guilt-driven or perhaps even wanting to impress others. It is possible to do it to gain self-worth and so show to others how generous I am. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees were pretty good at that. <laughs> That's exactly what they did. They did that. The kind of generosity that God delights in must be driven by love and not by need and pity. Christian generosity is to be a godly generosity, to be like the generosity of our God. You've probably heard the expression, there's no such thing as a free meal. You know, somebody takes you for a free meal, what's the catch? You know, what, what, what are they doing that for? That's not the case with God. And God wants us to be generous in the same way. Not demanding something in return, not looking for something in return. Have you ever noticed that, you know, somebody asks you for a meal or, 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 or around, your immediate response is, oh, I must ask you around. <laughs> yeah, we, we kind of like that. We feel that we've got to respond in that way. But the first place we look to to motivate our generosity is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Randy Alcorn says, Gaze upon Christ long enough and you'll be more of a giver. Give long enough and you'll become more like Christ. Gaze upon Christ long enough and you'll become more of a giver. Give long enough and you'll become more like Christ. Our primary motivation should be in our response to what God through Christ has done for us and what he continues to do for us, and what he will do for us in eternity. But it is also true that in the area of money and possessions, Scripture encourages us to give generously. Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians, writes these words. And if you'd like to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to read from verse 1 to 7. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God, that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will. Begging us, begging us. Imagine a church where people are coming in begging us, we take my money, we take these possessions, we take these and use them. That's what was happening here, begging us for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that he has started so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you. See that you excel in this act of grace as well. You know, our, grace, our, our giving should come out of an act, it should be an act of grace, not out of demand, not out of law, but it's an act of grace. And Paul goes on to say in uh, 2 Corinthians 9, just going to read from 9 to 12, he says this As it is written, he has distributed freely. 
He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your need for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. With all the challenges that we face, the cost of living, high inflation, which can I say from Matt and I, we look at, we look at the giving, we, we're so blessed that through all that's going on, you guys still give so sacrificially to support the work of God here. But with all that, materialism can become a diversion for us. It can become a barrier to our giving and the use of our money and our possessions. Randy Alcorn says giving is the only antidote to materialism. If you've got the problem of materialism, think about it. Perhaps ask friends, do you think I'm materialistic? Then I tell you the antidote is giving. And all that we have, we start, we should start from this place. All that we have is to be steward for God. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19, 20, Paul tells us that we've been bought with a price and we no longer live to ourselves, but to God. You and I have been bought with a price. We no longer live to ourselves, but to God. So the first place, the place to start in giving is first realising that we don't own anything. We are stewards for God. All Christians are but God's stewards. John MacArthur says, everything we have is on loan from the Lord, entrusted to us for a while to use in serving him. There was an instance many years ago in the time of John Wesley, where John Wesley was somewhere and somebody rode up to him in a rush on a horse, panicking and exclaiming, um, I've got some bad news. Mr. Wesley, bad news. Your house has burnt down. It's just been burnt to the ground. Wesley weighed the news, then calmly replied, No, the Lord's house burned to the ground. That means one less responsibility for me. He knew that it wasn't his. He knew it wasn't his. Some of you may have heard of a man called Jim Elliott who died in going to the Hurani people of Ecuador. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott gave his life for the gospel. He went to those unreached Indians of Ecuador and his heart was generous towards these people. He went to serve them and he gave his very life. Wesley and Elliot understood their lives and their possessions in the light of eternity. And over the next two weeks, this, this is a three-part series, Matt is going to, over the next two weeks, flesh this out a little bit more about the context of our giving in, into eternity. But when we talk about being generous, our first thoughts probably go towards our money and our possessions. But as I said earlier, there are other areas that we can be generous, like the giving of our time. 
Have you ever gone to someone and, and you've, you've started to speak to them and perhaps you wanted counsel or help or whatever, and you kind of just felt, they want to rush it through, they don't really have time for you. Yeah, they'll do the basics. To be generous in that time. To be available to one another. To encourage and help one another. Encourage each other in the word. Somebody says to you, I'd like to have a chat. Well, I can only give you a few minutes. Well, sometimes that's important because you might have a child who's about to run into the road and if you didn't, you'd have problems. But there are other times that maybe that's not a good statement. We should be generous. There are other, other areas. The question I have, and the question has really struck me, not only in my giving or my possessions, am I generous with my time? And along with giving of time, being generous in hospitality or being generous in the use of our gifts and our talents. Are our gifts and our talents for us to show how, what talent we've got or is it because we are motivated by love to use the gifts and talents for the glory of our Lord and Saviour? In fact, I was thinking about this, and again, I don't have time. But as many of you know, been around for a while, there are many scriptures speaking about one another, how we should be to one another, the one another scriptures. Well, I think you can apply generosity pretty much as I went through. You could apply generosity to each of the one another scriptures. Jesus paid it all. He did not hold back. He was supremely generous. And his generosity was both sacrificial and joyful. For the joy that was set before him, he did not go to the cross grudgingly. He knew it was the will of the Father. He knew that he needed to go. And he went for the joy that was set before him. And I would suggest for those of us who desire to be more like Christ, our generosity should be marked with generosity that is both sacrificial and joyful. Problem for some of us, fear can hold us back in our giving generously, particularly of our money and our possessions. We can be fearful. Fearing the loss of security, fearing the loss of comfort, the very loss of money. Mike Reeves, I believe, helps us in his book, Rejoice and Tremble. He says this, is that as we rejoice and tremble at who God is, it gives us the wisdom and strength we need to live. We shouldn't fear or be in dread. Let God, your, let God be your fear rather than fearing loss of security, comfort or money. Then you'll live freely in Christ. Some of you may have heard of the great Chinese missionary Hudson Taylor. He said, the less I spend on myself and the more I give to others, the fuller of happiness and blessing did my soul become. He saw the link and he experienced the link. The more he gave, the more he gave to others, less he spent on himself, the fuller of happiness and blessing did my soul become. The way to experience the joy of generosity is by focusing on what God, who God is and what he has generously given to us by serving generously in the church, in our homes, in our neighbourhoods. And giving sacrificially, not out of duty, but in love and joy. Let our hearts 
Let our hearts be moved by God's big heart. I want to close with this hymn. Robert Murray wrote this hymn in 1898. Lord, you love the cheerful giver, who with open heart and hand blesses freely, as a river that refreshes all the land. Grant us, grant us then the grace of giving with a spirit, large and free, that our life and all our living we may consecrate to thee. We are thine, thy mercy sought us, found us in death's dreadful way. To the fold he safely brought us, never more from thee to stray. Thine own life thou freely gavest, as an offering on the cross. For each sinner thou saves from eternal shame and loss. Blessed be thee with gifts and graces. May we heed thy church's call. Gladly in all times and places give to thee who gives all. Thou hast bought us. And no longer can we claim to be our own. Ever free and ever stronger, we shall serve the Lord, thee, the Lord alone. Saviour, thou hast freely given all the blessings we enjoy, earthly store and bread of heaven, love and peace without alloy. Humbly now we bow before thee and our all to thee resign. For the kingdom, power and glory are, O Lord forever thine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a generous God. Thank you, Lord, that you have been so generous sending your Son in saving our souls, forgiving our debts and for preparing a place for us in eternity. Lord, we are so undeserving. We deserve your wrath. But you, through Jesus, have shown mercy to us and daily Give us grace. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your love. Not that you were motivated by duty. You didn't say, for I thought of the world and so I sent my son. You said you so loved us. You so loved us that you sent your only son. Lord, we are forever grateful, forever grateful. And we will sing our praises to you as long as we have breath and all through our time in eternity. Lord, you are worthy of all honour and all our praise. And Lord, we thank you. Lord, help us. Give us grace to have generous hearts. To not do things out of duty, to not do things meagerly, but to do things generously. But not for us, O oh Lord, not for us, but to your name be glory. Amen.